the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Simple Truth Moments, hosted by Reverend Earl Clampett of Simple Truth Ministries, a weekly show dedicated to excavating God's Simple Truth Moments. Good morning, San Diego Saints. I am your host, Reverend Earl Clampett. Welcome to Simple Truth Moments, a unique type of broadcast with the goal to prepare the body of Christ for the momentous times in which we find ourselves. This program serves as a kingdom training platform challenging church tradition, not with hostility, but with a view to assess the biblical validity of what is taught and lived. So put on your seatbelt for an enlightening journey of cultural context and a fresh way to more thoroughly comprehend the kingdom ways of God. Welcome back, San Diego Saints. We are continuing on with our series entitled uh, Homecoming, a book that I last authored, um, the byline of which is how the mystery of the new covenant brings both Jew and Gentile back to Abba Father. And what we discussed last week was um, the fact that when we as Gentiles study the Ten Commandments, oftentimes we don't read all of the first commandment, which describes the nature and character of God. And uh, we mentioned that, uh, for example, I grew up as a Catholic kid with a Catholic catechism, and the first commandment was always, um, you shall not have strange gods before me. I am, the, I am the Lord your God. You shall not have strange gods before me. But the other part, which talks about um, who... And God was in his role of taking us out of um, Egypt. And I'm looking at the complete Jewish uh, Bible here with David Stearns. It says, I am Adonai, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the abode of slavery. And... In the New King James, it says, out of the house of bondage. So we talked about what that signified when we first come to the Messiah, to Jesus, um, because it was during this time um, with the children, Hebrew children of Israel, where the Passover was first experienced uh, by by the Jews. And it was a very real experience, to say the least, uh, culminating the uh, tenth of ten plagues, which was basically the most severe one, death to each firstborn member of the Egyptian families, including the, their uh, their animal stock as well. And it was devastating. But those who were residing in Goshen, those Hebrews who followed the directives that Moses received from God as to how they would be spared, uh, in essence, um, not only survived, but ended up um, thriving. They did not experience the uh, same unfortunate judgment that befell the Egyptians that night, Um, but they also, upon leaving Egypt, abandoning the pagan culture, leaving behind the uh, demonic influences of that culture. And, of course, we just just talked about um, Pharaoh being a prototype of of, uh, an archetype of Satan. And uh, we compared the Christian walk with what happened with the Hebrew children and it's really a Judeo-Christian walk, because without our foundations, our roots of Judaism, there is no Christianity. Our Messiah, uh, as we celebrate in the Feast of Passover, coming up 
um, this week um, was Jewish and um, came from the seed of Abraham. And so um, as we begin to appreciate our Hebrew connections, our Hebrew roots, after all, we are, as Gentiles, grafted onto the uh, root. Uh, we are wild branches, as it says in Romans um, chapter 11, where the wild branches grafted onto the root of Israel. And as such, we become, in Ephesians chapter 2, talks about us becoming members of the commonwealth of Israel. And not just that, when we become born again, as we get attached to the root of the olive tree as wild branches, we also become members of the household of God. So it takes care of citizenship, it takes care of family membership, but it also takes care of one-on-one relationship between ourselves as children of the Most High God, of Father God. And we explored last week, and I'm not going to go into a lot of it, just a brief review. Um, By the way, you can get any of these shows either on the podcast um, section of KPRZ, uh, dot com or on my website as well, um, it, which is Simple Truth Ministries. That's plural, Simple Truth Ministries dot net. And just go to the media page, and we have um, a separate broadcast uh, section where all the podcasts are listed. So if you miss any earlier shows, um, I'll make brief reference to uh, a show and then get into the new material. Uh, but if you say, whoa, I'm not quite understanding the connection there, uh, just go back and feel free to uh, to partake in the uh, becoming accustomed and uh, exposed to the uh, earlier material that we offered. So there is a library, and it's uh, laid out by title and description. So moving on for today... Um, We finished up last week with, in essence, trying to answer the question, why is our culture um, so often attacking the concept of patriarchy? And um, it's very interesting because even in our Christian culture, as Gentiles, we talk a lot about Messiah, Yeshua, Messiah Jesus, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And um, we, if you move on to Pentecostal experience of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, you'll include not only the Jesus experience of salvation, but also um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit with all that the uh, gifts entail there. But there's just not a whole lot of talk about fathers, and uh, what, we dis- what we discussed was fathers actually are the entire point of this whole drama, this whole Bible story, which is a family reunion story. Um, and we talked about the fact that Father God, as creator, established the material creation, put man in charge of it. And our purpose was basically to receive a download of his likeness into us so that it could be expressed uh, horizontally by imaging out the recently deposited likeness download from God. We image it out horizontally. That's our purpose. That's our job is to to, um, image the essence of the Father. And didn't Jesus do that when he was here? And honestly, uh, for all that... Jesus referred to, talked about, um, attributed everything that he did back to the Father. We don't emphasize that in our preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. We don't talk about the Father. Why is that? And yet the culture seems to always attack fathers. We talked about that and attack the, quote, patriarchy and attack the notion of the nuclear family as established in the Bible, uh, along with the roles, critical roles of father. And ironically, the only prayer 
that Jesus taught us. If you were a Catholic growing up, it was called Our Father. And uh, if you're a Protestant um, background, it's called the Lord's Prayer. But the first two words of the only prayer that Jesus taught us was Our Father. And we don't talk about that. Why is that? So we talked about last week why um, the culture is going after the after Father, especially in light of the fact that he was the one, as it points out, if you read all of the first of the Ten Commandments, it talks about what role the Father did in rescuing his children from a life of 430 years of slavery to a tyrant named Pharaoh. And again, when you, ta- when you teach um, symbolism and uh, typology of, sh- of shadows and representations of what happened in the, in the Old Testament, in the Jewish Testament, and how those types become fulfilled, fulfilled in the New Testament, uh, we always refer back to the fact that most teachers instruct that Pharaoh was really a, a, uh, a shadow or a, a type of representation, if you will, of Satan and how tyrannical Satan is with imposing the slavery of sin, the bondage of sin on us. And so the process of being rescued, of being delivered, um, really took place on the night of that 10th plague that befell Egypt and the night of the experience of Passover where the unblemished lamb is offered as a pure sacrifice to the Father, and that blood of that lamb in each Jewish household in the land of Goshen was spread on the doorposts of the house. Now, Passover is going to be celebrated this week uh, prior to Easter Sunday. And it's interesting that both of the uh, holidays fall on the same week this this year. And it's interesting to see that in the Gentile community, which focuses primarily on the New Testament, doesn't spend a lot of time in the Old Testament, um, the idea of being saved, becoming, uh, in essence, rescued by Jesus, by having your sins forgiven and receiving them into your heart, um, in the sense of Passover, oftentimes we Gentiles are taught that that's the beginning and the middle and the end, and it's over. And once you do what we just explained about how salvation, initial salvation is usually experienced and presented, um, that's the it. That's the end of the road. There's no journey you have to take other than um, getting a ticket and waiting to basically physically die um, and then be transported from point A, Earth, to point B, which is in the celestial world, heaven. And one of the reasons I wrote this book, um, Homecoming, was that I think that we really have, unfortunately, in the Gentile experience, and I don't care whether it's a Catholic background or Protestant background, we have really um, been promoting, preaching, teaching a very partial gospel. And the problem with that is that we are told that we are to preach in in the book of Acts the whole counsel of God, W-H-O-L-E. And I think what God is doing in these days is that he is um, trying to explain that the plan that he laid out, his blueprint plan in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, of what he designed for the material creation and uh, to whom it was to be given to rule and reign, which was basically mankind, until we botched everything and through blunder and deception we 
in Genesis chapter 3, handed all authority over to Satan, (laughs) and we've been suffering ever since. Um, That plan is still on the books, and it's still going to be fulfilled. And that's why I wrote Homecoming. I'm trying to fill in the blanks to say, you know, the Jewish Testament is foundational for this family reunion, family homecoming plan. And what we were explaining was we didn't lose heaven in the fall in Genesis chapter 3. Who we lost, and notice I said who, who we lost was our relationship with our Father God that we read about in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. And uh, I urge you to go back and read those two chapters and see what the original blueprint of God was. It was to have um, a unique, wonderful family experience between father and children until we have an invading, fallen, rebellious, angelic kingdom invading this earth because they didn't agree with God's original plan of putting man in charge of the earth. And so uh, we also described in earlier shows how Gnosticism, um, which uh, was totally contrary to the uh, word of God, basically preaching that anything of the material creation was evil and anything in the ethos or the spiritual world, that was the only good. Well, the problem with that is that that belief system is contrary, directly contrary, 180 degree contrary to what Father God declared when he looked over his creation on the end of the sixth day, he declared everything he'd made, not just to be good, but to be very good. So which is it? The Gnostics who say the material creation is inherently evil or the opinion of Father God as he's wrapping up uh, his work of creation saying, this is, this is my opinion. And so it, the Jews, um, in their approach to God, never lost um, the, appro- the understanding that this is an earthly story an earthly story in the sense of recuperating that which we lost and trying to remember that we as humans are inextricably linked to the earth. We came from it, we live in it, and we're going to go back to it. Excuse me. And in essence... Um, when you go to the Greek linear Gentile perspective as opposed to the circular cyclical Hebrew view of this Bible story, they're not compatible. They're radically different. Why is that? Well, one of the reasons I wrote this book, Homecoming, um, a lot of these are mysteries that are being revealed today in our time. And in one of the early chapters that I wrote um, in the book is that there's a chapter called The Requirement of Journeys. And basically I asked the question, especially in my second book called The Blueprint, is the Bible a Greek linear story or is, or is it a Hebrew-Jewish circular cyclical story? You have to make a choice here. People have to pick. Um, and... Circular journeys don't end up in the same place as straight-line linear journeys. In other words, if you were to take a 12-inch ruler, straight line, and then you looked at a circular compass that you might use in a drafting class or architect's uh, class, um, the lines of beginning and end are not equal. In those two examples, a circle is not the same as a straight line. And I'm going to sum it up real in a simple, straight way. 
We Gentiles preach a Greek linear gospel story of um, creation, the fall, um, the Savior, and then straight line out of here, forget the earth, write it off, just get up to heaven, whatever it takes. Um, That isn't the gospel. That's Greek thinking. That's a linear orientation. That is westernized um, philosophical Gnostic thinking that crept into the early church after the diaspora of 70 A.D. when um, Titus destroyed the Second Temple. Um, And we disconnected from our Hebrew roots um, in the 3rd and 4th centuries and never looked back and basically relegated the first two-thirds of the Holy Bible to the, um, the upper shelf with a lot of dust on it, saying that was then and this is now and uh, God is done with the Jews. I was taught as a Catholic kid um, the Jews killed Christ and uh, they had their chance and um, it's all about we Gentiles. And it's just, just not true. I mean, if you look at it, I want to encourage everybody on, on this broadcast to read two chapters in Ephesians, Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 3. Ask yourself, is God finished with the Jewish, his Jewish children? It's very clear that he is not. Then go to Galatians 2 and 3. Read those two chapters together and look how God is bringing Jew and Gentile back to the Father through the Son as our deliverer, our redeemer, our savior as our Messiah. Okay, he was uh, sent by the Father to bring people, lost, errant children, back to what they had in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. It's a very simple story. I mean, if you want to look at a New Testament example, uh, look at uh, Luke chapter 15, the whole um, parable about the um, prodigal son. That whole story is circular. That whole story is talking about apostasy, walking away from God, experiencing the world, thinking you know we're smarter than God, and finding out to the contrary in a radical way, and then discovering when the pigs are eating better than the keepers of the pigs, it's time to go back home. And then looking at the reunion that the Father welcomes us back into the family. That's very much descriptive of the circular, cyclical return of the family unit that we see in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And uh, unfortunately, we as Gentiles um, have lost sight of all all that because um, we think that if you ask most people, why did Jesus come? Why did the Father send Jesus? Uh, They'll say, so that when I die... I will get to go to heaven. I'm not anti-heaven. I believe in heaven. In fact, when I die, I want to go to heaven. But it, it's not the goal. And in fact, it, there's not a verse that says that in the Scripture, whether you're looking at the New Testament or the Old Testament. It never says once the purpose or the reason for the coming of Jesus was so that when I die, I get to go to heaven. It's not even mentioned as the goal. And so what I want to talk about today is, since Jesus did define the goal in John fourteen six, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Listen to what he said. And no one gets to the Father except through me. He did not say no one gets to heaven but by me. Big difference in how we live our lives. If the goal is returning to a person, our creator, father, how we conduct our lives as contrasted with, well, we're just going to sit around because we got a ticket and we're going to be issued from the point A earth to the point B heaven on a linear trajectory. That is not the gospel of the kingdom. It's a Gentile version of it. It's a Gnostic version of it. It's a it's a Greek Greek philosophical Western linear version of it, but it is not 
the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel that John the Baptist announced, the gospel that Jesus as Messiah, as our deliverer, as our healer announced, the gospel that Paul, a Benjamite, tribe of Benjamin, rabbi who studied under Gimaliel and who took uh, the message of our Messiah Redeemer, saving us from the clutches of those who hate us, as it says in Zachar- uh, when Zacharias was uh, prophesying in Luke chapter 1. That's why he came. He came to do away with the works of the devil. Look at 1 John 3. Uh, I believe it's 1 John 3. Let me just make sure. I'm going to look it up in the King James here real quick. And make sure that we have it exactly the way Scripture lays it out here. Okay, here it is. 1 John 3, 8, I believe. Yep, there it is. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Here it is. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. And it doesn't say anything about dying and going to a place here so that he might destroy the works of the of the devil. Well, guess what? We have some of those works of the devil still in us, and that's why he came, to clean us up, to purify us, to sanctify us, and to consecrate us. And we'll talk about that when we come back from the, from the break. See you on the other side. Welcome back, saints. We have been doing some review and uh, trying to figure out why Father God got, gets a bad rap from our current culture. And in essence, um, anything Father God created, um, Satan is going to come against, whether it's um, the nuclear family, whether it's the position of Father God as a patriarch, uh, whether we talk about the patriarchs of the, um, uh, the Hebrew covenant, patriarchs with an S, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and uh, why is it that this culture is so against um, the role of fathers? And uh, again, the name of the only prayer that Yeshua, that Jesus taught us, it's called the, uh, the Lord's Prayer, or it's called Our Father. And it starts off with those first two words. The chapter that I want to refer you to in this book is the, called The Requirements of Journeys. And I ask a question there, um, because if we lost something in the garden and we didn't lose heaven, we lost our dominion over the earth because we handed away our authority that we originally received from God to have dominion uh, over the earth. Um, Father God had to basically, in order to restore the kingdom, to restore the original blueprint that he made in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, he decided that he was going to, in essence, become a man by sending his son, who was very man of very man, but he was very God of very God simultaneously, and he came with one mission, and that was to redeem us. To redeem is a word that means to buy back something. So let me give you an example, real-world example here. Um, if you were to use a pawn shop and you needed a loan, and let's say you had a really nice-looking uh, guitar and you, you turned it in as collateral uh, f- for them loaning you some money. Well, um, the idea is that when you... Uh, are able to pay that loan back, you're going to redeem or get back something that you earlier lost or gave up. And that's why Jesus is called the Redeemer. That's why this whole uh, celebration this week of the Passover, he was the perfect lamb uh, who was offered as a sacrifice in order that we, um, as the guitars, if you will, in this case, be redeemed back to its original owner. I think that would be a good example. 
But but what also we lost in, unfortunately, um, believing the lies of Satan about Father God, because that's what he told Eve, and he insinuated through suggestions that Father God was not trustworthy, that uh, he had an ulterior motive um, by saying, don't eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the implication that Satan was suggesting to Eve was that he's somehow Father God is somehow holding out on her, or he's fearful of her, or he's jealous of her, or there's envy here, or some doubt um, as to why um, he doesn't want her to to be in the likeness of God, which is the irony is that she already had the likeness of God. And in the process of believing a lie about the Father, about Father God, she lost what she already had. She lost the likeness of God. And so when God sets off to restore something, that means you have to get on the road to the journey back. The Jews call it teshuvah, the, the return. It's a circular story of coming back and returning to what you originally had in Genesis 1 and 2 with the original blueprint. So in this requirement of journeys uh, chapter, I'm just going to start off here by saying, how many times have you heard it said, quote, life is a journey, close quote. How many times have you heard it said you can't get there if you don't know where you are going? Or better, I might say, well, let me just go to the next paragraph. Some goal-oriented questions we as people of faith should probably ask ourselves are, where is the so-called there of the journey? Or even better, what is the there of the journey? Or even better yet, finally, perhaps the best question is, is the there of the journey actually not a what and not a where, but rather a who? A who? Who did we lose in the garden with the fall of Adam and Eve? What did they lose as to what they had in connection with Father God? Did they lose their relationship with him? Did it cause a separation between them and the Father? Did that separation, in essence, cause their death? And we say, well, what do you mean? They still lived. Well, physically, yeah, but spiritually, Here's the definition of eternal life. Check it out, John 17, 3. And this is Jesus praying the night before he died. Again, celebrating the Passover meal. Uh, listen to how he prayed. And this is eternal life. We're reading John 17, 3. That they may know you, the one true God. He's praying to the Father when he says this. That they may know you, Father. He's talking about the apostles in the room that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. So in that prayer alone, we can see that Adam and Eve lost something when they lost their relationship with God. They lost their life. And not just life, they lost their eternal life because if we listen to that definition of John seventeen three that they may know you, the one true God, may know you. It's relational. This experience is relational, not relocational. That's what it's all about, regaining our relationship that we earlier lost. That's why it's called redemption. You're re- Jesus is redeeming us as Father's children back to the Father. So I go on to say the Bible is a roadmap story. It has a beginning, it has a middle, and it has an end. The roadmap story has signposts, it has directions, 
that has indicators along the way of the journey. But it's not necessarily a linear journey, as we've been taught to think in our Greek Gnostic Western thinking, as we've reshaped the Bible by removing the Jewish roots. Some could biblically argue that the journey is a circular, cyclical one, on, with, depending on which roadmap perspective is used by the traveler. But how the journey ends is largely up to us. So I go on to say, let's face it, our days on earth here are limited. Time is something that is not redeemable. In Matthew 25, I'm convinced that the unproductive servants weeping and gnashing of teeth seen in the parable of the talents serves as an example to all of us as disciples of the Lord. This particular parable is one to which we ought to pay very close attention. It was not intended to the unsaved. It was not directed to the people who didn't know God, at least initially. The unproductive servant who returned his soul-buried talent back to his master, he learned the hard way that defining the goals of God in your life's journey is no small affair. I'll just add it again. Heaven is never defined as the goal as to why Jesus came to earth. He came to reunite us with with the individual whose relationship we earlier lost in the fall in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. The eternal consequences of pursuing our individual desires independent of God's goals for our life We can't request a redo or a do-over. It cannot be undone with our requesting a do-over. So we have to walk away from everything that the world is telling us is important. The only thing that matters is the definition of eternal life, which is knowing the Father and the Son whom he sent. Now, let's see here. I want to read to you in First Peter 2. Yeah. Listen to, somebody might say, well, where does it say that Jesus, the reason he came to die to, as an, expiation of our sins. In other words, we deserve the judgment or the, or the punishment, uh, but he is an innocent man, took our place. And, but notice in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, listen to where the goal is. Um, and who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Okay? And then, go to the next chapter. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just, for the unjust. You ready for the next line? Where are you? First Peter 3. 18, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. That he might bring us to God. It doesn't say that he might bring us to heaven. So this whole story is about returning to Father God. Father God. Check out... um, it's all over. Uh, let's see, Second Corinthians. Uh, v- chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this is Paul the Apostle, writing to the church at Corinth. If anyone is in, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. But that's verse 17. Now check out verse 18. Now, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself 
through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He didn't say ministry of transportation from point A, the earth, to point B, heaven. doesn't say anything about that. Let's, I'll read it again. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself. See, he's the goal. The Father is the goal through Jesus Christ. So in other words, he, Jesus as Messiah is the means through whom we arrive at reconciliation back to Abba, back to Daddy, back to Father. That's who we lost in Genesis chapter 3. And then it's Jesus who has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now listen to the verse 19. Again, where are we? We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now we're going to go to verse 19 in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. Check this out. That is, comma, that God was in Christ. You ready for this? reconciling the world to himself. Didn't say reconciling the world to heaven. Not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us, this is Paul writing, God's committed to us the word of reconciliation. What does that mean? That means Fixing ruptured relationships. Getting to know Father God, which is by definition in John 17, 3, eternal life. Eternal life is not transportational. Or it's not relocational. Eternal life is relational. Reconciliation, our relationship to reconcile to make it right, to get back together. Now notice the next verse in 2 Corinthians 5. Look at, check out verse 20. Now then, this is Paul writing, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Here it is, you ready? Be reconciled to God. How's that? So we saw it in Peter. We see it in 2 Corinthians in essence, if we can just keep in mind John fourteen six, I mean, it's so clear that when Jesus points out, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no one gets to the Father through to me. It's just so simple. It's in the Gospels. It's in the epistles. It's everywhere. And we have to stop talking about journeys being basically airplane tickets to get out of the very place where our inheritance lies. What, I'm, what am I talking about? Earth. We're, a family reunion, when the prodigal son returned back to the father, it was much about, first, um, getting back to reconcile his relationship with his dad, with his Abba, with his father. And his father ran down to, the, to greet him. Can you imagine what that felt like when that embrace took place? Can you, can you picture that? Can you feel that when God says, welcome back, son? Welcome back, errant child, errant, errant son. And, but the very first thing about restoring your family status as a child, as a son or a daughter of the Most High God. Well, what do fathers do besides welcome you back when you've repented? Well, they start talking about um, restoring everything you earlier had in the family, which was your inheritance. So I just want to point out our inheritance is in heaven. You know, uh, the Spirit does go up there, but, you know, so much of the Bible talks about us coming back after the resurrection, the first resurrection, Revelations chapter 20, to rule and reign with Christ on earth for a thousand years. Check out um, Revelation chapter 5, 9. Check out Revelations chapter 20. It's everywhere. But I want to point out to you that when you come back as a child, you're not only getting back together to reconcile your relationship with your father, with your dad, as the Jews would say, Av. Av is the Hebrew word for father. Notice in Psalm uh, 115, verse 16, it says, The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's. 
Next line. But the earth he has given to the children of men. He never changed his mind about the original assignment that he gave us in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 of having dominion over the earth. It's pretty clear here in Psalm 115, verse 16. I'll say it again. The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's. But the earth he has given, listen, to the children. didn't say of angels. It says to the children of men. It doesn't say to fallen angels. No. The fallen angels are usurpers. They stole our inheritance, our family inheritance of children of the, of the Most High God. Um, you want to see what happens when you come back to the Father? Let's take a look at um, Romans chapter 8, verse 15. Uh, eight fifteen in Romans. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but you received the spirit, that's a capital S, of adoption. Adoption, that's a term used when a child is being brought into the family. The spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, don't just the words here in Romans 8.15, Abba, Father. Didn't say Abba, Heaven. It says Abba, Father. Remember the definition of eternal life, John 17.3, that they may know you, the one true God. Not know about in your mind, but know you experientially and, and romantically in your heart. Now check this out in Romans 8. 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You see the father-child experience there. Now look at verse 17. It gets better. Look what happens to you as a returning child. This is you as the prodigal son returning. And if children, we're now verse 17, then heirs, H-E-I-R-S, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So you see that fathers give us our identity, they give us our provision, and they give us protection. God wants, what did Jesus say? It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He wants to. He's, that's why he sent his son to die so that we could be reconciled. That's what we uh, read in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 5. And so we need to keep focusing on the fact that God is restoring the completeness of of the message of the gospel of the kingdom. And he wants to explain to us that the covenants that he made with the uh, Jewish patriarchs have an impact on us as his children, as his Gentile children. Gentile is just a word that means people of the nations. That's all it means. But those covenants that were made between Father God and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob all throughout Genesis— were to ultimately benefit us as Gentiles. That was the end goal. Israel was to function as be the light unto the nations on how you have a relationship with your Father God. Did they do a great job? No, they didn't. We can see that in 1 Corinthians 10. That's what Paul talks about. Let's learn from their mistakes. We learn from their examples of what not to do. But it doesn't mean that God is a God who doesn't know the plan, who doesn't know how to do a blueprint and how to return to the beginning because he said that his plan originally was not just good, but rather very good. So let's keep in mind that there is a trajectory here. And the trajectory is back to the original idea of God saying, I want to give my children 
basically my likeness. I want to deposit it into them like I did with Adam and Eve. I want them to image out to other people my likeness. So it's image and union so that we can basically, how should I put this word, Um, reflect outward in a horizontal way to other people to say, this is what God sounds like. This is what God uh, looks like. This, that's what Jesus did when he imaged the Father. Uh, I think it was uh, Philip who said, uh, where are you going? You say you're going to the Father. Show us the Father. And he says, I've been with you all this time. I, if you're looking at me, you're seeing the Father. Well, if we're supposed to imitate everything and emulate everything that Jesus did in his ministry, we have a lot more deep uh profound digging to do to understand Father God's blueprint and what he wants to accomplish. So that's why we're going to really get into this book called Homecoming, how the mystery of the new covenant brings both Jew and Gentile back to their mutual Abba Father. We have a mutual Father. He's the glue that brings all these groups together. God bless you. I hope you have many momentous Simple Truth moments this week. We'll see you next time. God bless. Thank you for spending your time with us excavating God's Simple Truth moments. For more information and resources, visit simpletruthministries.net. That's simpletruthministries.net. To contact Simple Truth moments, email me at earlsimpletruth at gmail.com. That's earlsimpletruth.net at gmail.com. So until next time, may God richly reveal His Simple Truth Moments to you. You've been listening to Simple Truth Moments. Join Reverend Earl Clampett for another episode next Sunday at 11 a.m. right here on K-Praise. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.